Well, here we are back again in Mark's Gospel, learning as we do each week in church, something about what it means to follow Jesus from the Bible. And we're thinking in this series about living with the King, because Mark in his Gospel wants us to know that Jesus is the King, God's promised Messiah, and he wants us to know uh, what it means to live with him and to walk with him. And you may remember from last week, we uh, were there with the disciples and Jesus as they went uh, and had two meals together, actually. One in uh, Bethany, where that lady Mary came and uh, anointed his feet with oil. And then the Last Supper, the Passover meal, uh, and we had communion then. And where we are today in our story is right after that meal, when Jesus and his uh, 11 disciples, Judas was no longer part of the group, uh, as they leave the house in Upper Jerusalem and walk through the dark, seats, uh, the dark streets of the city on the way out of the city to the Mount of Olives, they're talking on the way as they would. And, and we get a snatch of their conversation at the beginning of this passage. The disciples weren't finding it easy, I wouldn't think. It must have been a really strange time for them. There were the plots that were going on in the background uh, the, the fact that they had to be very careful about security. There's been talk of betrayal. And then there was Judas's odd behavior on that during the meal. And where was he now anyway? Jesus had been telling them for months that he would be arrested, that he would be flogged, he'd be put on trial and he'd be killed. He'd be executed at Jerusalem. And here they were in Jerusalem. He talked about rising from the dead, sure, but they hadn't really got that at all. Their superhero was going to die horribly. He was going to feel real pain. And very possibly, they might be in it with him too. And today's uh, reflection from God's word, that uh, it has the title, Facing Pressure with the Faithful King. And we chose this topic for today, oh, months ago. Interesting, isn't it? In this little part of Mark's account, we see the disciples under real pressure. And we see Jesus, their superhero, our king, he was going to face enormous pressure too. I wonder if there's any of us are feeling under pressure at the moment. Surely not. <laughs> How do you handle it? It's not great, is it, for any of us? Though there are meant to be people who actually are supposed to thrive under pressure, although I'm not sure who they are, and I think partly their secret is that they have this way of actually giving their pressure to somebody else, so they have half as much and the person, the other person has twice as much instead. Here we see Peter, uh, who's under pressure, and he's the one with the runaway mouth at the best of times, and he kind of runs away with what he's saying. He has this kind of false confidence, maybe even denial. Well, they may run away, he says to Jesus, but I will never, in fact, I'll never run away, Jesus. I'll even die for you. There's this confidence that's, again, yeah, based on, on, on denial, perhaps. And Jesus brings in some reality to Peter. Peter, he says, yeah, you actually, you're going to be the first uh, tonight. Actually, before the morning, you will have denied me three times. But if they'd heard what Jesus was saying to them, he was actually helping them to prepare for this pressure, for facing it. And when he says to them, uh, what he says to them rather, could be really helpful to us when we're under pressure. So I want us to look at what Jesus says to them and see what we can take from it. The first thing is Jesus wants us to be realistic. You see, he tells the disciples and us that sometimes things happen and we're just going to be caught up in it. 
The shepherd, he says, is going to be struck down. And as a result of that, the sheep are going to be scattered. It's not the sheep's fault. Uh, it's just what happens when the shepherd gets struck. And in a sense, that can be very much the same for us. We can get caught up in stuff that happens and pressure can come upon us just because we're there. It's just the way things are in this messed up world. It's not personal. It's just part of life. And maybe we, we should be aware that when a catastrophic event happens, we will be troubled. We will be pressured just because when a big event happens, we all get caught up in it. And Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us, look, things sometimes happen. And that's true of us right now, isn't it? It's true for people all over the world. There's this virus raging and we're all under huge amounts of pressure. I guess some of us have it easier than others and we, we, pray for, uh, we are prayerful for those who feel it in the health services and so on. So being realistic, keeping it kind of out of our personal headspace in the sense of taking it all personally, it's just not that helpful. It's much better to, to keep it out there, as it were. It's hard for us in the West to do this. We're not used to that. But all over the world, our brothers and sisters face this kind of situation much more often than we do. And maybe we've got a lot to learn from them in the wider world church. So Jesus wants us just to be realistic. But he also says to the disciples, look, there's a bigger picture. And he wants us to see this bigger picture. And it's particularly true for these disciples and for the events that they were facing. But we can learn from it too, can't we? See, the, the passage Jesus quotes from Zechariah is actually God speaking. It is God who is the I who will strike the shepherd. And through it all, Jesus has been trying to help them see that God is working something out in Jesus' betrayal and Jesus' death. It's not wildly, wildly out of control. True, Judas really betrayed him. And the Romans and the high priestly family had him really executed. But God in that was working something amazing. There was a bigger picture here and it wasn't all out of control. And Jesus has said repeatedly to the disciples, I will rise again. So the bigger picture is really very big indeed. It will mean the beginning of the age of God's kingdom. It, it be it, it kind of the age when which we can know God for our, ourselves, know his forgiveness, know that relationship with him begins through Jesus' death and through Jesus' resurrection. So how does that work for us in, in our, our pressure? The bigger picture applies to us too. Not that the world is going to be saved by our suffering, but at a more basic level that God is at work in ways beyond us. And even if we die, resurrection is coming. We are safe with the Lord. God works out his purposes in history. He is at work for good, we know, in all things. So does that mean the virus is from God? No, no, the virus comes out the mess we've made of the world. But can God bring glory out of it? Yes, he can. And our trust in his faithfulness, in what he's doing in us, what he's doing in this broken world through Jesus, and the people who carry Jesus' kingdom in us, people like us, that can make a difference. We can make a difference as we carry his presence in the world that is under huge pressure. Other people don't have that until they come to know Jesus and the difference he makes for themselves. 
And then Jesus says to his disciples that he wants them to know something quite important. And it's true for us too. Jesus wants us to know that he is going ahead. The disciples are about to go through the worst weekend in the history of the world. Actually sounds like the title of a film, but it, it, it was true. Because this is the weekend when the Son of God is going to be executed by the human race. When evil will appear to totally triumph. But Jesus tells them that it will be over. He will meet them on the other side of this appalling weekend. He will be raised from the dead. Sorry, there's an Easter spoiler alert there. In this pressure, Jesus is with them. He's going ahead of them. He has it all in hand. They will fail, but that won't be the end of it because God isn't going to fail. He didn't then and he won't now. I wonder whether you've noticed how God goes ahead of us in this pressure. Things happen. Things get sorted. There are little nudges, little evidences that he's gone ahead of us. Some of us read Alison's, uh, uh, our global partner in Central Asia. She sent out a, a letter this week. Uh, she's locked down in Central Asia and she told the story of how she'd been waiting months, if not years, for her official registration. That's a document that she needs to have saying where she officially lives. She had been waiting for that to arrive. And it didn't really make any difference until the lockdown came, where the law says that you can get into trouble if you go or shop more than 500 metres from where you live. And her official residence was officially 2,000 kilometres away. But just before lockdown, the papers came. And it's happened to us several times just in our experience this, uh, over this crisis here in the church. I changed a meeting venue on the last day of our week, uh, last day we could actually meet in the church. To be honest, I did it on a bit of a grumpy impulse. Someone later used the venue that we would have met in and got the virus. And all those in the meeting I changed, including some in the vulnerable category, could have been exposed with terrible consequences if I hadn't, on that impulse, changed that meeting venue. He went ahead of us. So facing pressure, remember, sometimes stuff just happens. Jesus wants us as disciples to be realistic, not to take it personally. Get hold of that bigger picture that God is at work, that God has it in hand. And get hold of the truth that Jesus really is going ahead of us. Now, I don't know whether the disciples got that straight away. Probably they didn't in the light of the crisis that occurred afterwards for them. But the church certainly did later, as Mark's story was told. And it's been part of our experience for thousands of years. Now, the disciples, as we shall see in a moment, had much more to learn as Jesus took them with him. And as he went through more pressure than they could possibly have imagined. But we'll come back to that in a moment or two. So Jesus and the disciples come to the Mount of Olives. Maybe it's been about a 30 to 60 minute walk. The place they've come to is a garden, an olive grove called Gethsemane. And here we see Jesus under huge pressure. As I say, Gethsemane is an olive grove and the actual word Gethsemane means olive press. 
and olives were pressed to get the juice out of them, the beautiful oil rather, um, in a, a massive kind of, and first of all, a massive stone that went round in a, rather like a millstone, only, only smaller, but very heavy. And then they were put in something else and squeezed three times to get different grades of oil from the olives. It was a pressurized place, an olive press, quite literally. And it could be that Jesus' prayer three times kind of reflects the, the three-stage process of pressing olives. But, but you get the idea, this is, this is a place of extreme pressure, cosmic pressure, really. This is the Son of God as a man on earth facing enormous stress. So anyway, the group settle, and maybe they light a fire or sit down and chat a bit, I don't know, but, Peter, but Jesus takes Peter, James and John, as he often did, away a little bit further and, and then tells them about the pressure that he's under. It's huge pressure. He uses really strong language in the passage that we had read to us. It says that he's appalled, he's profoundly troubled, He's overwhelmed, it says. It, it, it says his soul is overwhelmed. Deep into his very being is this sense, even to the point of death. He's just not sure, he tells his friends, whether he can go on. Jesus, their superhero, is here on the floor. And he just wants them to watch to sit with him as he goes off a little bit further away from them to pray. Not out of earshot, they could hear. What's all that about? Is he asking them to keep a watch for when the death squad arrives because he knows it's coming? Judas by now has got them and knows where they are and will be bringing them to, to arrest him. Does he want them to watch because he, he just needs his friends with him to support him? Is it that he's still wanting them to learn something? He's allowing them in on this intimate moment so that they might learn what it's like to face pressure and, and how they can uh, learn from his example. After all, that's what discipleship is, learning from his example. But there they are anyway. And what happens? Well, they fall asleep. <laughs> but lucky for us, they do at least pick up the main point of Jesus' prayer. They remember it. Peter was there, he remembers it, and he tells it to Mark, and Mark is writing it down. He's asking for one thing. They pick up this main point of Jesus' prayer. One thing. And, you know, praying like that, uh, sorry, rather, praying is like that, under pressure, under that kind of pressure. You don't have time for lists. You don't necessarily have space for liturgy, although that can really help. You just have one thing. And Jesus prays this astonishing prayer. If possible, he says, he would like to not go through with the mission. The hour, he says, may this hour be taken from me. And the hour is a phrase that's used all through the Gospels to refer to this moment, the moment when he's going to go to the cross. And, and Jesus is saying, I don't know whether I can do this. Well, heaven must have held its breath. I don't know whether some of you were around, uh, not many perhaps, in the 80s, when I remember when I was a student and worked with students, uh, Christian drama was all the rage and, and sketches about angels were quite common. Uh, and I can imagine there's a lot of sketch material. Imagine the angels just hearing this. 
Oh no, what's going to happen? Is he going to go through with it or not? That's how he prays. Why is Jesus so overwhelmed? Well, the cup is a reference to the Old Testament. Isaiah 51 talks of a cup of staggering, which is God's judgment. God's holy inability to accept sin. The necessity that God has in his nature that sin has to be dealt with can't just be kind of magicked away somehow. The people have real responsibility for their actions. And, and Jesus is going to take that. He is the one who will be struck. He doesn't want it, but he is willing to do it. Your will, not mine, he prays. And he comes as the son to his father, his Abba. That was a name that little kids called their daddy out on the street, Abba. And together we have this, this moment where the, the whole community of the Godhead meet in this garden, kind of outside at Jerusalem, at this critical point. As the son is overwhelmed, the spirit empowers him and the father is glorified as he stands up to face the cross. Here is our king. Here is our champion. Here is Jesus under pressure. And how does he face it? He prays. Look at how he prays. Look at what he feels. Four things. It's what I call Abba praying. This intimate sense. He needs God with him in that close, that daddy way. The God who is Abba. The God who loves his son. The God who delights in his, his son's obedience. The son who wants to obey his father's will. He's there in that intimacy. He's crying honestly, openly to his father. So there's that, that intimate kind of cry to a God who is Abba. And then there again is this realism. Jesus is completely honest and open about the weight he feels. He's honest too about wanting to obey his father's will. And he speaks that out. And often it's when we pray out loud at times like this, or, you know, you, 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 you kind of write down what you're praying in a journal. Kind of praying it out loud is a really crucial thing to do. And then there is thirdly this vulnerability that Jesus shows. He shares it with his friends as well as his father. We had that slide a couple of weeks ago where it said it's OK to not be OK. Well, if, if ever that applied, it's here at that moment in the garden when Jesus is certainly not okay and he shares it with his friends as well as his father. And then finally he keeps praying. Three times he says the same prayer. Three times he, come, he comes rather and then he's strengthened to get up and to go forward with the Holy Spirit and he goes off and he wakes up the disciples. Now, here's the thing. If Jesus can feel like this under pressure, if Jesus can pray like this under pressure, then so can we. Jesus is no longer on the floor. He stands up and he goes to meet the mob. And again, if he needed to ask God, if he needed to trust God, if he needed to depend on his father, his Abba, under pressure so he could stand up and go forward. 
If he needed that, then so do we, whatever we're facing, and we can find him there. 